Did today matter or was it just another day? Much like Groundhog Day, the same as yesterday and the same as tomorrow. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, here we are already in the merry month of May. We've passed Cinco de Mayo. Isn't that an exciting time? You know, I would think it probably is for you. It certainly is for me. Mexican food happens to be my favorite, so I'm always looking for new experiences, and Cinco de Mayo brings it on. Hope you're having a merry month of May. We've got lots of interesting questions again today, as always. Got somebody who says, my own company wants to get rid of me. How should I deal with this problem? There's a challenge. Every day I spend here feels like my soul is being sucked drier and drier of my creative life juices. All right, Dan, do I need to trademark? in addition to getting the domain name for my business. And I've got a little interview clip with John Eldridge, author of Wild at Heart. Many of you are familiar with that book. He's got books since then and a new movie coming out. Got an interview with John talking about living an adventurous life. You want to stick around for that. Here's our quotation for today. This one's going to stop you in your tracks. It comes from our friend Chris Gillibu, who I just interviewed with his new book, born for this just uh, this last week went to a book signing party with chris here in nashville we were one of the 30 stops that he made always fun to have him swing through town chris says this many people trade their dream for a car payment now think about that many people trade their dream for a car payment that that comes from a real life situation with chris he was about 25 years old had recently graduated from college and he saw most of his peers, his classmates, golly, got that first job. They're buying a car. Well, he decided he wanted to do something else. He decided that he wanted to visit 100 countries in the next 10 years from the time he was 25 to 35. Now, he calculated the cost of that. What would that cost him to do that? Obviously, it's not free. You've got flights and all kinds of things connected with that. He determined he would need a budget $30,000 to do that. Now, to put that in perspective, a whole lot of his friends were buying cars. See that first car? $30,000. They pay on it for 10 years, and you got a bucket of bolts. You know, Ford Focus sitting there, not worth anything. He decided to take the $30,000, didn't need a car, but to travel to 100 countries? Well, that's the poignancy of his phrase. Many people trade their dream for a car payment. You know, a lot of people have dreams, but they never act on them because they get locked into just normal things. And all of a sudden, they're 65 years old and didn't accomplish the things that they had on their dream list. You know, right now, we've got, a, we've got multiple family members around. And people are always amazed. Just this morning, we had people on the property here who were doing some gardening work and uh, landscaping and some who were doing, um, giving us new bid on some windows. We need new windows in the sanctuary, going to do some upgrades. And they're amazed. I got six grandkids running around, you know, kids and in-laws. 
running around here. And I was like, how did they do that? You know, just here in the middle of the week, have that kind of a lifestyle. And I was describing the way my kids and grandkids live. And a lot of people, that seems like a dream. Hey, incidentally, we're going to be talking about how to live a dream life at our event called Innovate. That's coming up May 26th and 27th. Going to have a lot of our family members who are going to be in town. We're going to have them share about how they've created the lives that they have. Also, other people like Bob Baker with his book, The Empowered Artist. Debbie Dearman will be talking about things she's done. Uh, Ken Davis will be talking about how he's taken clean Christian comedy and had a very successful career based on that. I mean, you, you would think, well, gee, yeah, that's something you do, you know, birthday parties and they may give you a hundred bucks. No, if you're strategic about it, you can take a creative skill like that and do something great. That's innovate. I won't, I better stop on that. I'll get going. I'm so excited about it. It's our, we, we brought that event back. It was one that we had done for a few years. And then I just, I rotate things out all the time. Well, we had so much demand for that, that we're bringing it back one time only this year. It's our least expensive event. You can come for four ninety seven or two people for seven ninety seven, And a lot of people taking advantage of that. So we'd be delighted to see you here. Now, here's a note. Got a couple success stories here. I want to just run by you. This comes from Gwen Beck, who says, I happened onto your site many years ago when you were letting us print 48 low cost business ideas off our computers at no charge. Frankly, I think you can still do that if you're a member of 48days.net. But anyway, Gwen says, I personally have not used any of this material for my own use. However, in the past four years, I've been sharing your ideas with women in a 90-day program who are needing to reconstruct their lives. I have music as my topic, but use this as an avenue to spend an hour once a week with these women. I present one to three ideas most weeks, and they seem to be very receptive. I've gone through your book three times already, started on a fourth time yesterday. I just thought you'd like to know your book is still being used to encourage others. Well, thanks, Gwen. I appreciate the note and the update, and I'm always delighted to hear that Something I wrote or said is inspiring others, helping them to see new opportunities. Next note comes from McKay, who says, After I left the Army, I decided I wanted to run my own business and managed to save up $20,000 to start it when I got out. The day I separated, I ended up in divorce and literally lost everything and had to restart in a new city where I knew nobody. I spent the first three months in my apartment with a sleeping bag and, a, and one cast iron skillet to my name. Without going into too much detail, I was no longer able to run the business I had dreamed and planned for years. Ended up in another job I hated, making too much money for something I could never be good at because I wasn't passionate about it. I stumbled across your book, 48 Days to the Work You Love, uh, because of a comment on Dave Ramsey video, and I purchased it. I won't go into details behind the horrible situation I was in, but I only say that this book literally saved my life. I'm still working the job I hate, but not for much longer. I spent eight months getting licensed to be a home inspector. And I've been spending my free time performing inspections and advertising. I'm about $5,000 away from being self-employed. I just wanted to say thank you. I can't explain to you the lowest of points I reached during that year. I'm here today because I pulled myself out of the worst year of my life, but you provided the guidance and motivation. So sincerely, sincerely thank you. Well, thanks for your note. I grieve for the pain that you've been through. And I can't imagine the pain of a divorce and how life shattering that has to be. 
But I commend you on seeing light at the end of the tunnel, on beginning again to dream, plan, create a plan of action for yourself that can move you forward. Thank you so much for sharing your kind note. Now I want to play this clip that I did with John Eldridge. I'm going to put this in the category here before we play our little queen message. We are the champions because it really is that. John Eldridge was the author of Wild at Heart, a book that absolutely rocked the world for a whole lot of men who realized they were living pretty boring, mundane, predictable lives. (laughs) You know, everybody wants some kind of adventure in their life. But in this little clip, I asked John about that. Does it really require that we do something really dramatic, adventurous? How do we live a story worth living? Now, that's what we're promoing here, and certainly we are promoing. In the movie coming out May 19th, it's going to be a one-day premiere showing of this movie that John, his three sons, and a couple other friends did, a motorcycle ride through the mountains of Colorado, and the movie is a story worth living. So I'll tell you how to get information on that. We'll put some links in the show notes, but I want you to listen to this interview with my friend John Eldridge. Well, John, it's a delight to have you join us today. Lots and lots of people in my audience are familiar with probably your best-known work, that being Wild at Heart. That's been around a while. When did that book actually come out? Yeah, back in 2001, and it kind of got this whole thing rolling. (laughs) Well, it's awesome to have a book that has legs and obviously touched a nerve with a whole lot of people, the whole idea of Wild at Heart. Now you've got this new movie, A Story Worth Living, kind of on the same theme. When we talk about wild at heart and i've encountered lots of men who really realized their life was kind of boring in essence does it take an exciting story to really engage us do you think everybody has an exciting exciting story to live out i think so i think we're made for it i mean you just look at look at the movies people love look at the things that if you gave them you know you got a thousand thousand bucks in seven days this summer they'd go do something exciting with it right like yes. it's built built in the soul, it's built in the human heart, and, and kind of the idea of a story worth living is people get stuck in small stories, and I mean, that's what you're all about, is helping them get out of, you know, feeling stuck. Well, now you've got a movie that shows, you know, six of you out there in the mountains and motorcycles, adventurous things, you know, leaping over canyons and all of that. Some people are gifted, you know, as an architect or an accountant, they go to a cubicle every day, and they live there. You know, do, we, do we have to give up some of the things that would seem to be normal and do something exciting to really engage in the best story we have to tell? I don't think it's that we give up things we love. If it's painting, if it's reading, you know, some people love chess. So it isn't about motorcycles, but we do have to step outside our comfort zone. I mean, that's, a, that's an old, old truth. It's been around forever, but it, it remains true. that When we, when we kind of lose our way, when, when we lose uh, even the passion for what we're doing, I was listening to your podcast. Uh, someone was asking a question about how do you maintain the passion, you know, in an entrepreneurial startup. Like when you lose, when you lose heart, when you lose passion, when you lose focus, you do have to do something to get you out of your comfort zone. So you walk away from the chess table and you go down to the Y and start playing basketball with the guys, right? You walk away from your desk job and you go try and start 
start something new yourself. So adventure is crucial, although adventure looks different, I think, as you said, for everybody. Oh, I love how you frame that. We need to step out of our comfort zone. You know, so often people want something new, they want something different, they want different results, and yet they're unwilling to risk any kind of change. And I tell them, as you do, that without change, our life is going to remain pretty much as it is. But that adventure can look different. Yeah, that's right. And therefore, risk-taking. And for us, this trip, there's really kind of two stories behind this exciting film. There's, There's the story of the trip itself. And then, and, and then there's the story of the making of the film. And, and uh, years and years ago, I graduated, my undergraduate degree is in theater. And I always dreamed about getting into film. And, and uh, we took our first foray into it a few years ago. We made some films called Killing Lions, and they were kind of about young men and initiation. And we put those for free out on YouTube, and they actually did pretty well. So this second time around, we went out last summer for a thousand-mile motorcycle trip through the back, back country of Colorado, like river crossings and mountain passes and stuff, and, and we made a film out of it. And, and it, it's a beautiful story because it's a story about a story. I think, I think it speaks right to the heart of what you're urging people to do. Wow. I, I'm, I can't wait to see it. Again, the movie is a story worth living. We'll tell people when and where they can access that here in a minute. But I want to go back to something you just mentioned there. We observe a lot of people that kind of get stuck. They may have lives where they're being responsible in providing an income for their family, but they feel like they're stuck. What is it about us that allows us to get stuck, even if we have this sense there's something more out there? And I I want you to frame it in terms of how you presented risk. Is it risky to leave a predictable life and to try something new. Exactly. Yeah, two things typically pin us down. Fear, uh, and we may not name it as fear. We might say, well, that, that, that looks a little uncomfortable to me, or I'm not ready for that level of risk. But bottom line, it's, it's fear. It's fear of the unknown, fear of what might happen, fear of the consequences, fear. Uh, it, it's, it's really interesting that you know, Gandhi's famous quote is, we think hate is the enemy, but it's not hate. It's fear. Mm. Uh, so fear is one thing that pins us down. Uh, but I think another thing, too, is unattended wounds. Things that happened earlier in our, our life, right? Like, you know, we were in the science fair, and we wanted to win it, you know. But our dad wasn't into that, and, you know, he was a construction guy. And he says, what are you doing with that? That's so stupid. And, you know, we, a lot of people give up their dreams. They even give up their careers based on unaddressed wounds from their past. And, and that's why they would prefer to stay stuck than either face their fears or deal with their wounds. Wow. Okay. Now give us a couple guidelines here for how to approach this, because there may be a tendency to just kind of walk away from everything predictable and everything known. When we talk about walking into adventure, what are some guidelines that you can give us for how to approach that in a reasonable way that really will tap into how God has gifted us and what the next season of life, life yep. might look like. What are some yep. guidelines for doing that well? Yep, exactly. Um, there's a great quote by Howard Thurman. Uh, who's, he said, don't ask yourself what the world needs. Ask yourself what makes you come alive. Mm. What the world needs are people who have come alive. So years ago, I was in a great paying job in D.C., 
and I was climbing the ladder. I, I, people had their eyes on me. I had offers. You know, I was doing well in the, in the policy and politics arena in, in D.C., but I hated my job. And a friend of mine asked me a fascinating question. He says, when you go into a bookstore, do you, do you go to the politics section? Do you like kind of reading stuff on, on that sort of thing? I, I looked and I said, no, I never read that stuff. Oh, my. He says, what do you read? I said, oh, I, I read stuff about uh, personal growth, counseling, development, that sort of thing. And he's like, you're in the wrong line of work. Uh, and for me, that was a big aha moment. It was like, I'm good at this, but my heart's not in it. This isn't what makes me come alive. And I think you've got to start with that question. What makes me come alive? Oh, that's, I love that advice because that, that's so true. That'll put people on a, an authentic path, not just to walk away, but to walk toward exactly. what makes you come alive. Well, what do you want viewers to get from the movie, A Story Worth Living, John? Oh, it, what we just said. It's all about that. The, the reason we titled the film A Story Worth Living is that every human being is looking for a story worth living. And so the film, the film is all about what we've just discussed, people getting stuck in small stories, the risks we need to take to get out of those stories. And we use the context of this motorcycle trip, but here's the story. Of the six riders, me, my three sons, two friends, five of us have never even done this before. We're brand new at this. And so it's far more about the journey of stepping into new things, the journey of chasing your dreams, the journey, frankly, of addressing fears and old wounds. Uh, one of the places, one of the stories in the film trip is we stop at the canyon that my best friend was killed in 17 years ago on an adventure trip. And the temptation, you know, 17 years ago was for me to stop all of that, right, and just live a safe life. And so we, we take people on a very beautiful journey into their own life as a story and how to understand the story that is your own life in the context of this adventure trip we're on. What an exciting experience. I just got excited reading about it, you and your three sons, and a couple other guys like Dan Allender along with you. What an experience that had to be. Um, I love having my kids involved in things that I'm doing, if in fact it's part of them reaching their own dreams and I'm sure you've identified that with your sons as well. Well, tell us how we can find out more about the film. Yeah, jump online. Uh, here's the deal. It's a one-night-only screening nationwide, May 19th. And so it's in you know, theaters in every major town nationwide, but one night only, May 19th. And if you jump online and just Google a story worth living, you'll find our website. You can put in your zip code, and it'll tell you where your theater is. I did that for the Nashville area here, and there's four of them really close to me. I was delighted to see that uh, it's gotten that kind of uh, penetration into markets like this. So, yeah, absolutely. Go to a story worth living. Put in your zip code. You'll see where you can experience this amazing movie, A Story Worth Living, on May 19th. Well, Jonathan, I'd like to have you on. Thanks for carving out a few minutes of your time to share this uh, journey with us. Oh, thanks, Dan. Appreciate what you're doing for folks out there every day. Thank you. Well, there you go. Interview with John Eldridge, author of Wild at Heart. I encourage you to, I've not seen the movie yet, but I certainly will. It's going to be playing, as he said, one day only, but it's going to be in over 400 theaters around the country. Yeah, if you go to a story worth living, just Google it. 
it's kind of a unique URL that they have, but just Google a story worth living. You'll see it come up and go to theaters and put in your zip code. It'll tell you exactly where you can see it. It's on May 19th. Now there were some things in there that certainly tie in with our 48 days message. People need to step out of their comfort zone. I mean, you know, staying in the comfort zone keeps you doing exactly what you're doing now. You know, sometimes when I talk about that, finding your sweet spot, the integration of passion, talent, and money that I talk about so frequently, people think, okay, the intersection there, that is my sweet spot. That's my comfort zone. No, it's not. It's not a comfort zone. Comfort zone means that things are going very predictably. You're going to have success in 80% of the things that you try. That's not your sweet spot. Your sweet spot is where you're reaching, where you reach for something and you may get it or you may not. You know, where you may have success about 50% of the time with things you do, but that's the spot where you then are trying new things. This is not just to break everything that's working, but we all do, I think, want that adventurous life that John is talking about. And as he said, the quote he quoted from Thurman is uh, what the world needs is people who have come alive. People who have come alive. I know you want to be one of those. Hey, I want to have one other thing quickly in here before we do our little We Are the Champions segment. Then we'll go into the questions for today. That's the 10 characteristics of people who end up rich because it ties in so well with what John is talking about. I just wanted to run through these again. Now, these are the 10 tips, 10 characteristics given by you, the listeners, when I did that survey about a year ago, asking you what it takes to get ahead. Number one, expect success. Number two, creates a clear plan. Three, works hard. Number four, avoids debt. Number five, is teachable and a lifelong learner. Number six, exercises self-control, persistence, and delayed gratification. Number seven, accepts personal responsibility. Eight, keeps good company. Nine, is opportunity conscious. Ten, enjoys the present, but plans for the future. And there you go. Those are the things it takes to be a champion. Hey, you know I love playing that clip. We love hearing the testimonials, stories about what you're doing. Put yourself in this category. Just go to 48days.com, click on the Ask Dan link, or just send an email to askdan at 48days.com. Tell us your story. Be delighted to include that here. This comes from Aaron Kerr. Now, Aaron's been real involved in the 48days.net community. Along with a whole lot of other people, we've got a lot of exciting things happening over there. I encourage you to get involved there if you're not. There's no cost to that community, but it's a way to share ideas and resources with others. But Aaron says, I recently published a book entitled Forbes Wisdom, 1,000 Thoughts on Life and Business. It was written by B.C. Forbes, the founder of Forbes Magazine. I wanted to pass along a 100% free version of the book to you. Uh, There's a link, and I'll put it in the show notes. I'll tell you what it is, but again, it's kind of hard to convey 
URLs sometimes via audio. He says the link below will take you directly to the PDF of the complete book. No email address or sign up for anything required. I already went there and checked it out. I'm going to take my time going through it. It's really awesome. A thousand thoughts on life and business. Now this was written by BC Forbes back in 1922. So Aaron has just brought it back to life. It's one of those things in the public domain. He brought it back to life, put his own comments in there. And the, the link is timelessreads.com slash forbeswisdom.pdf. And I'll give that to you, but the easier way is going to be, I'll put it in the show notes, timelessreads.com slash forbeswisdom.pdf. And it's a free book, A Thousand Thoughts on Life and Business from B.C. Forbes. Now, this is... um. You know, there's a, there's a note I ran across this week. Last year, Lincoln County, Oregon spent $80,000 on a new school bus so kids wouldn't have to walk to school. This year, the county is spending another 200000 on a new gymnasium so kids can get some exercise. Isn't that ironic how that goes? I mean, my gosh, I see, you know, a guy who's 80 pounds overweight on his riding lawnmower on a postage size stamp lawn. And then he gets a gym membership to go and try to lose weight. I'm thinking, man, you got a pretty obvious method here right in front of you. Well, anyway, for in the what it's for worth cat for what it's worth category. I this week I've been dealing with a consistent theme. And I wanted just to comment on it a little bit because it relates to what so many of you are telling me that you're dealing with. But here's here's how I'm gonna frame it. I'm gonna give you an example. From my own property here, many of you have been here in our property in Franklin, Tennessee. But a few weeks ago, I had to acknowledge there was a growing challenge with the sidewalk leading up to our front door. Now, we have a wide sidewalk. It's kind of curved. But there was a 10-foot section that had buckled up about six inches because of tree roots underneath. Never anticipated when we put the the sidewalk in 16 years ago that the tree roots would be strong enough to push up concrete that is that heavy, but they're, they're that powerful. So that had ruined that gentle flow of our sidewalk and it created a pretty dangerous lip for people to walk over. Joanne was concerned about it, just having people walk up our sidewalk. So yes, I had a problem or was it really a problem? Was it something else? You see, when our children were small, we never allowed them to come to us with a problem. Rather, it was always an opportunity for a solution. And I've really approached every situation in my business and life in the same way. Now, it may sound like just semantics, and it is, but we've always done playful things with our kids like that. So it's not a problem. It's an opportunity for a solution. If the chain breaks on your bicycle, it's not a problem. It's an opportunity for a solution. What are you going to do to be creative to solve that? So I've got a section, 10-foot section of my sidewalk that's buckled up. Now, here's really four steps, four potential responses to that. Number one, I could just ignore the reality of the problem and just live with the obstacle and inconvenience. Now, what I want you to do, I want you to start framing any problem that you're dealing with right now, because I think you can take any problem that you have, if it's in a relationship, if it's at work, if it's with your car, I think you can put it into this framework. So I could just ignore the reality of the problem with my sidewalk, just live with the obstacle and the inconvenience. 
I could remove the entire sidewalk and just start over. All right, just start over. Number three, I could tear out the 10-foot problem section and then try to match a new section with the old to try to make it look like its previous condition. Or, number four, I could come up with a totally new solution that could maybe even make things better than they ever were before. Now, here's the deal. Just this week, I talked with a gentleman who is one of the founding principals. He's one of the founders of the business that he has. It's grown exponentially. They have lots and lots of employees. It's worth a lot of money. But the board just brought in a new 37-year-old CEO. Now, this new leader is making some changes that are pretty uncomfortable for the gentleman I was talking to. The tension is rising, and he senses that it's pretty clear that his exit would be welcomed from the company that he helped found. Now, that's a problem, right? Okay, let's go back to my sidewalk. I'm not going to walk through the details of that because I want you to insert your own problem into this framework. So, Joanna and I started talking about the possibilities of our sidewalk. and We started imagining a beautiful little bridge that would add a real artistic beauty to our sidewalk. It would allow expansion for the tree roots underneath. And we wouldn't have to try to match the existing sidewalk. It would clearly be something that was new and different. That's exactly what I did. But see, my first step with the sidewalk was to recognize I did have options. I'm not forced to just deal with an increasingly ugly and potentially dangerous sidewalk. You know, just knowing we have options can relieve the feeling of being trapped or taken advantage of. Now, I think any problem you have, can be put into that four-part framework that I outlined. And yeah, I wish I could show you the picture. We have a beautiful little bridge on our sidewalk, just a real gentle little go up and back down. Sides have been built up with stone that matches stone on our house and at the end of the sidewalk. I mean, the grandkids, it's a natural meeting point. They meet on the bridge. It's a natural collection point for them. They love riding their bikes over, pulling the wagon over that. It added so much. And it was a solution that probably wouldn't have been the first thing that we thought of. And that's typically where we go with the problems that we're confronted with in our lives. But just remember, if things are bad, you're forced to change. If things are okay, you can just survive the rest of your life but don't assume that just because things have to change that it's going to be somehow worse now i know i talk about this a lot but when i talk to somebody who just lost their job the first thought is almost without exception oh my gosh we're not going to go on that vacation we had planned we're going to pull the kids out of private school We're going to give up the golf club membership. We're going to turn back in the cars we leased. Before they ever start looking at a new plan to move forward at all, it's, oh, okay, we got to get ready for less in our lives because of this unexpected change. My response is, why would you assume that? Why would you think that the change is going to require or, or give you less? Why would you not equally expect that the change would open the door to 
to something more and better, which in fact, in job situations, often is in fact the case where 18 months later, the person looks back and says, wow, it's the best thing that ever happened to me because that unexpected, unwelcome change forced me to look at new options. It allowed me to remember dreams that I had allowed to go dormant. And now I acted on that. I'm in the best season of the life, life that I've ever had. Well, this comes from Tommy. Tommy says, I'm a 28-year-old special education paraprofessional, husband and father of two. I've been a paraprofessional for eight years and I'm tired of settling for complacency and mediocrity. I've stayed in this job for so long because the benefits seem so important, but every day I spend here feels like my soul is being sucked drier and drier of my creative life juices. Boy, that's a pretty poignant picture right there. Every day I spend here feels like my soul is being sucked drier and drier of my creative life juices. Wow. Tommy continues, I'm also a professional musician as a second job, giving guitar lessons, freelancing as a guitarist, singer, songwriter. I have an opportunity since building a small studio to change my job and work for myself, writing jingles, theme music, and even writing songs for pleasure. This is where my gift lies, and I want to be a good steward of the talents God has blessed me with. Here's the problem. My wife is having a hard time handling me focusing so much on work goals and she's worried she won't be the priority anymore. I make sure to take time out of every day, at least an hour to spend quality time with her and just as much with the kids, but she had a childhood where she was ignored. How do I go about creating a business while I work full time, sometimes two jobs and have a family to take care of? Your book and podcast has changed my view of life and work, and I can't thank you enough for the work you do. I know you have a theme song for your podcast, but would you like one for your new video podcast? I'd love to write something for you as a thank you for the life-changing lessons. Well, thanks, Tommy. Thanks thanks for your note and for your offer. And sure, I'm always open to new ideas. The song that we use that Todd and Emily from Gifty Song did for us that we play at the end of the podcast here was one I kind of just played with a little bit. And we got such a response from the audience that instead of playing the last little segment from the old Bachman Turner Overdrive taking care of business, we did insert that. And so we do play that on a regular basis at this point. Now, as to your question. So you're a special education paraprofessional, husband, father of two, but you're also trying to build your music business on the side, giving lessons, freelancing as a guitarist, singer, songwriter, and so on. Here's how I would frame that. If you're going to keep this as a side business, then don't spend more than 10 to 12 hours a week. Don't spend more than 10 to 12 hours a week on a side business. If in fact, it's going to remain a side business. Now I think you can do that. And I see a lot of people do that effectively because when you think about it and we start with 168 hours a week, so we've got that much time, deduct the time when you work, transition back and forth to work, travel time, sleep time, you know, the, all those things, you pull all those things out, and we still usually have quite a bit of discretionary time where it usually just gets filled with things that are pretty meaningless. So I think you can carve out 10 to 12 hours, still being an effective dad and husband and worker to devote to your side business. If you go over that, yeah, you're going to get complaints and you're going to sacrifice success in some other area of your life. And in this case, it sounds like that's going to be 
in relationships. That's a tough one. You don't want to jeopardize success there because you're pushing too hard on the work side. However, let me give you a couple other options. If you want to make a transition, then I think you can effectively spend 20 hours a week on your side business for 90 days in preparation for switching completely. Here's the deal. If you can spend 20 hours a week for 90 days and you can get to the point where you're generating half of your current income, then I think you can switch, put your full time in what you're passionate about anyway, and grow it where you then duplicate and bypass your previous income. Now that, that's a real plan. I mean, I've been through that many, many times with people is to go through exactly what I just described. But don't spend 20 hours a week on your side business and do that on a continuous basis, or you will, in fact, get pushback. You'll start to sacrifice your health, your relationships, your spiritual well-being, personal development, something else where you need to be making sure that you have excellence and success as well. All right, Christopher says, Dan, I'm in the process of creating my own business in which I'll be making marketing and selling my own artwork. I have the name picked out. I already have purchased the domain name. Is it necessary that I trademark the name of my business? I went to USPTO.gov to do some research, but I'm still not really sure why or if I need to. And all the wonderful entrepreneurial stories we hear from 48 Days, I don't recall hearing much about trademarks. Thanks so much and keep up the fantastic work. All right. Now, what, what Christopher is saying, he went to USPTO, that's the United States Trademark and Pat, Patent Office. So you can go there and search to see, has somebody trademarked this? Now, there's two things to respond to your question. The fact that you have the domain name, that's the most important thing. That's more important than having it trademarked, having the domain. That really discourages other people from using it because that's how we market it. That's how people find us. Trademark is of lesser importance. Is it important to have? Maybe. I mean, I had 48 days to the working love for probably 12 years before I got it trademarked. At this point, I did, but I really wasn't worried about it prior to that. Now, with trademarks, we got to be realistic about what you're really protecting. With a trademark, you're really protecting a particular look. I mean, Coca-Cola, yes, you'll see anywhere you see Coca-Cola, you'll see down in the corner the little R with a circle around it. That means that's a registered trademark. But does that mean that you can't use the word cola in something else that you do? No, it's just that particular combination with that look, that's a trademark for them. What you can do, you can use a TM. Now these are those little symbols and you can do, get a drop down to insert a symbol TM whether you're using Word or Pages or whatever word processor that you're using. And you can start using TM, which is, it does stand for trademark. You can start using that immediately just because you thought of it and it'll document when you thought of it. You can send yourself a self-addressed envelope. You know, people do that where they have in there when they started using a particular phrase or term and they have a TM that they use. But that's really not a legal protection. And that just lets people know when you started using it. And in that sense, you have some right to it. 
But if you go through the trademark process, then you change that little TM to an R with a circle around it. It means you have gone through the official process to register a trademark. I've only done that a a handful of times. Um, I don't consider it to be a high priority, but when, when 48 days got to be so prominent and so much a part of our brand, I did trademark that. And certainly that does give us some legal protection from people using 48 days on other things. There've been a a whole lot of other things out there where it pops up. Uh, We aren't very aggressive about going after people, but we gently remind them that 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 is trademarked and uh, it'd be better if you'd choose not to use that. Well, Hey, let me just, uh, let me rock and roll here with this just to remind you and all the questions you're hearing here come from listeners like you. We love hearing your questions. It's the highlight of my week. We open that magical mailbox. Some of you wonder why why it takes me two weeks to respond. Well, it's because your questions at askdan.com don't come into my regular email. So sometimes there's quite a backlog there. But I love getting those. We do try to respond to all of them at least. They aren't all going to be as part of the podcast, but we try to respond to those and certainly welcome you sharing your stories with us, whether it's a question or a success story. You can go to Ask Dan, well, the Ask Dan link at 48days.com. You can go there or just send your question or success story to askdan at 48days.com. Now, this question comes from Andy, who says, Dan, you coach a lot of entrepreneurs. What's the most common struggle you see and how do you help them overcome it? The most common struggle for people who want to go into doing something on their own, time and money. Those are the two, time and money. I mean, we're all busy. I mean, Parkinson's law is that any task we have will expand to fill whatever time we have available for it. That's why when I, now Parkinson's in that sense has nothing to do with the disease, but the Parkinson's law relates to the phenomenon that I just described. That's why it's funny when people lose a job, so they've been without work for a month and I talk to them and they say, well, I haven't had job, time to do a job search because golly, between, you know, taking the kids to gymnastics and picking up the dry cleaning and mowing the yard, I don't have any time. And it's like, wow, those things were all there before, before you had time for your job. But now that you don't have a job, it's easy to let those things just expand to fill your time. We have to be very intentional about how we use our time if we're going to accomplish new things. But the biggest obstacle to people doing something on their own is I don't have enough time. Well, I just described to you a process that I like to use for transition. And that is to carve out 10 to 12 hours a week where you really get a full sense of what it is that you're doing, where you can test the market, see if it really is going to get traction. And that relates to pretty much any kind of business that you would want to have. Now, obviously if you're going to open a subway, no, that doesn't work there. You have to make a complete switch, but most of the kind of businesses we're talking about today, if it's a, you know, if it's a sideline business, if you're doing a little landscaping or window washing or detailing cars, or if you're doing something online, you're selling cameras online. I mean, those kind of things can be done in small segments of time. So 10 to 12 hours allows you to, and and what I tell people is if you do that 10 to 12 hours a week, that you really focus on a business for 90 days, you will be amazed at what you can accomplish. Seen it happen time and time again. So I think everybody does have time. 
I mean, the old adage, I mean, you have the same amount of time that Mother Teresa had or Thomas Edison or Benjamin Franklin. We tend to have time for the things that we consider most important. So if generating a side business, getting it up and running is important, yeah, you'll find the time for it. Money? Yeah, I don't have a quarter of a million dollars to put into business. Well, I've never, ever put a quarter of a million dollars into a business. I mean, it, it just... Most businesses don't require that. I mean, keep in mind, even Entrepreneur Magazine tells us that 69% of all businesses being started today require less than $10,000 investment. I mean, I would guarantee that most of you listening, you know, it doesn't require $1,000 to start a really good business idea. Having more money at the front end does not mean that you're going to have a more successful business. Again, if, if you have a business, if you want to open a bowling alley or a hardware store, those are capital intensive, but most ideas that I start don't require more than a thousand dollars. And when I started my mastermind, one of the most successful things that I've ever done, I put a thousand dollars into account to just take care of little incidentals at the front end. 30 days later, I took my thousand dollars back out. That's the, is that it was the total of my investment in that new business venture that has been extremely fulfilling and extremely profitable. Those are the two things. Now, when we talk about, God, I'm going to, I'm going to just end with this because I want, I want to just insert this. It kind of relates to so many of the things that we talked about today. Talked about living an adventurous life, you know, go check out the new movie coming out that John Eldridge and his sons did a story worth living. How do you live an adventurous life? And the thing that holds people back from moving into that a lot of times is that perceived risk. Wow. I, I really dislike that word. Because people assume that doing something new is risky. Well, we are very, very aware. I mean, I, I'm reminded of Marsha Weeder. One of the things she said is, what has being realistic cost you? What has not being willing to risk cost you? There be me, may be more of a cost and real risk in not risking something new than in going ahead and moving into a new area. Be careful about being so risk adverse risk is not a bad thing but we need to give it a new name i mean risk is when you don't have any control over something granted that's a little different what we talk about doing here is creating a plan how can you create a clear plan for what it is you want to move into if you've done the dreaming imagining planning part open the door to a new opportunity you have greatly reduced any risk involved in that. It's not risk. It's just that opportunity to walk into a new season of your life. You know, I feel like maybe today we've overemphasized the idea of change. I mean, some of you are living wonderful lives right now. And I commend you on that. I mean, I've lived a life that I love. But I certainly do still seek out those areas for change and new opportunity. Things that I can experience that I've not experienced before. Things I can introduce my children and grandchildren to as well at this point. Those adventures, things we've never done before. There's a new zip line at the Nashville Zoo that my granddaughters are eager for me to experience with them. I can't wait to get over there and experience that with them. You better believe it, I'll do it. And I'm not, you know, I'm probably not going to bungee jump or jump out of a plane. 
Um, it's not like looking for things that are dangerous, but just new adventures. Sure, show me something new. Show me a new nature trail that I haven't been on. New food to eat. I'll try it. Love the new experiences. Hey, I know you do too. Well, I hope you're having again a merry month of May, that this is a great time of year for you, a wonderful year that you're transitioning through here. Let us know what we can do to participate in your increasing success. And thanks for being part of this community of people who are, in fact, finding or creating work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable.